Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another In the Can series of podcasts, and we're well into the second week. I mean, actually, technically, we're recording more or less near the end of the second week, but you don't know that, except for the fact that I just told you. Uh, but um, for this episode, I'm pleased to be joining forces again after, I guess, a festival or two with uh, Jordan Cronk. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me back. Tell us a little bit about where you'll be writing. I'm covering Can for Art Forum, so that'll be a kind of a report after the festival, and then mm -hmm. I'm doing some uh, other interviews and pieces for other movie and filmmaker magazine and some mm -hmm. other places. So plenty to uh, seek out uh, once you've listened to this. Also, just want to mention that um, there will be more episodes after this. There will be more. There will be more. <laughs> I don't know. You can't just, escape it. You can't escape it, yeah. That's mostly because there are uh, a number of films to talk about. And I'd say a lot of films to kind of debate in a way, because I wouldn't say this is an edition where there are like things that are like head and shoulders, like clear, shining monuments of absolute masterpiecehood, which is not a bad thing, but is what it is. Right. Yeah, the lineup to me has been fairly, uh, I don't know, muted as far as like the quality. Like there's been a lot of good films, okay movies, only a couple I would think are, you know, very special or great. Uh, yeah. One of which I think we'll talk about. But yeah, it's been sort of strange. I think maybe last year was like a backlog of all these great movies, and this year maybe it's more like a normal can. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it's been been a little strange. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing is that the second week often has like these one or two things that are just bowl everyone over. You know, whether yeah. it's like I, I seem to remember like. Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being on the same day, right. for example. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, this year especially, it seems a little backloaded. We saw yep. like, at least two like significant uh, titles as far as like anticipation goes yesterday, and there's we're going to see the Kelly Reichert later today. Mm -hmm. So like, and this is the last two days of the festival, so it's yeah. backloaded in a bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's uh, roll up our sleeves and dive right in for a film that you know for me personally is hugely anticipated uh, as a Claire Denis fan uh i won't say acolyte because you know i do have some skepticism hmm. uh believe it or not uh, and that is stars at noon which takes its title and a lot of its material from uh, the book by dennis johnson probably best known in film circles for uh, jesus's son which was adapted by allison mclean and this stars margaret qualley and joe alwyn this is a weird uh compelling movie but in very strange ways. I guess it deals with Margaret Qualley's character is named Trish. She's a journalist in Nicaragua who's been stranded there, has lost her passport and her press credentials, um, and she's essentially drinking her uh, days away <laughs> in a like a seedy motel, and also to make money, uh, sleeping with soldiers and various locals. And then one night she comes across uh, the Joe Alwyn character. Uh, his name's Daniel sort of unclear exactly what he's doing. He's some sort of like British oil consultant, I guess. Yeah, he's... But I like a lot in this film, it's like, very <laughs> it's abstract what people are doing or what motivates anybody. Yeah. You know, they meet at a bar and they fall into bed together as a you know, transactional evening, but they end up becoming romantically or interested in each other after that. So it kind of deals with uh, their twin interest in leaving this part of the world and getting back to the U.S., or out of a uh, out of Nicaragua at the very least, mm -hmm. so uh, it's yeah it's a very strange. I think like every decision in this movie is quite counterintuitive to what <laughs> I would call a 
good or interesting uh, Claire Denis movie. And I found that interesting <laughs> because I d- actually did like this movie, but not in the way I would ever think I would like a Claire Denis movie. Hmm. Like, I don't know why it's shot quite the way it is. There's like very conventional aspects to it that I've never seen her do before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the casting of these two actors is strange to me, especially the Joe Alwyn character, who I know wasn't the first person attached, but I don't right. know if that makes a difference. But it's just very like, I don't know how you felt about it, but it just had this sort of like disorienting quality that I found compelling, but at the same time it was, it left me like, it's like unmooring or something. Yeah. The, the plot and the way it made me feel. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's definitely a change of pace. I mean, so there's like this meta disorientation just from it being kind of different style and it looks a little different. I think it moves differently. You don't quite hit the groove or, you know, just mysterious rhythms that she has in, in her, her other films. And yeah, I guess uh, Joe Alwyn came on, I was just reading like a week before it started shooting or something oh, really, like that this. Oh, really? Is that quick? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that he's bad. It's just he, he's almost like has one of those faces that's interchangeable with all the other like yeah. uh, bearded white actors. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah. so that's kind of interesting. These like, they're almost blank slates and she doesn't do a lot of takes and the acting is maybe questionable or the line readings right. in some scenes. Uh, I noticed that too. It was odd. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, but that said, you know, yeah, there there are these aspects that, you know, cue you to be familiar with it a little bit, just the kind of post-colonial setting, the folie de romance of it, that they're caught in each other's clutches, not necessarily for the better. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's funny because if you describe, like, the elements in it, it sounds like a pretty typical Claire Denis film. There's a tinder stick score that comes up every so often. It's yeah. very languid. Uh, there's a actual dance sequence that's very nice. Um, but, yeah, it's something in the way that, like, uh, I think it's, framed and mm. composed and it's structured is just like this looseness and it's not I, I'm trying to think like why it has this quality to it it can't be because it's in English because she's made movies in English before that aren't like this yeah. and nothing in her like four decade career would make you think that she's like phoning it in or doing something any different right. than before so there's decisions behind each of the things going on in this movie which I find compelling even though I don't know if they, they all work in a weird way when I was watching yeah. it I'm like this movie's gonna get like trashed and booed like it has that quality to it it kind of yeah. feels like a Many European filmmakers from the past who have make, made English language films, whether it's like Antonioni or something with like The Passenger or something like these weird like, mm-hmm. or Zabriskie Point or whatever, like there's this quality that feels like f- alien to them. Yeah. Which I guess it's alien to everyone involved probably shooting in Nicaragua, which there's also the big COVID element, which is <laughs> integrated into this right. film, which is similar to what she did with her other most recent film, Both Sides of the Blade, Yeah, which is very much in her style. And looks very different than this movie. So that's why I think there is a very uh, conscious effort to make it feel and look this way. Yeah. Which, I don't know, just threw me off in a way that I found very interesting and, like, sort of refreshing. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's, it's an anomaly within her catalog. I can't think of another movie that is like this in her filmography. Yeah. Somehow in the way it departs a little bit from movies that we most strongly associate with her, you know, from Beau through, yeah, yeah. you know, 35 Shots of Rum, which itself was kind of greeted with a little bemusement at the time and right. then I think has been totally embraced. Am I wrong that it's in the Criterion Collection? Did I make that up? I no, think it is. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely <laughs> considered like a major film. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if this one will be thought of that way or not but like it, yeah it lacks that like editing slipstream editing yes. kind of a thing she does so it's much much more straightforward and uh so that might be one of the reasons and even both sides of the blade didn't have that all the way mm-hmm. in it but it still had the kind of uh the camera work and the there is a sensuality yeah. in this film too but even the way the sex scenes are filmed are slightly yeah. more like uh distanced or like uh 
Yeah, I don't know how to explain I, it. Yeah, I thought that too. I mean, I thought compared to some of her other films, they're a little prim. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if that's a result of Amer- an American actress being involved where sometimes, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, what did you make of uh, Margaret Qualley? From scene to scene, I felt different, I think. Like, I thought she was interesting in most of it. And then there were, like, these little, like, moments where she, like, runs away from scenes or runs toward uh, mm-hmm. the Joe Alwyn character and make, makes these, like, strange, like, offhand comments. So she, she's almost like, she is a fish out of water in the movie, but, like, mm-hmm. even, like, in the, in the story, but it, within the movie, she almes feels like she's, like, uh, out of her comfort zone or element sometimes, mm-hmm. even though it's very natural, seems very natural performance. But, uh, yeah, all the casting choices are strange to me. Benny Safdie's like a CIA <laughs> agent in it. Yeah. And, uh, Continuing he, his thriving career and character as yeah. character actors. When he pops up, it's like hilarious and they have like this strange, like the dialogue is very, I don't know how to explain it. I, I haven't read the book, but I heard it's, some of it is taken directly yeah. from the book. So that could be part of it. I know she has like two other screenwriters who she normally doesn't work with. I don't know if that, like dialogue uh, writers. So I don't know if that contributed to it at all. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I mean, I, I, I have read the book and the, yeah, there are lines that are lifted uh, or lifted is the wrong word, but are, you know, used uh, wholesale uh, in it. And, you know, even the book has a kind of constant feeling of unsettledness uh, and the character quality plays is she's constantly like monologuing in the book. She has this kind of feverish monologue and also that's commentary on everything. So she's always reacting on the fly to what's happening in an actually more intense way than what's in the film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the screenwriters, it's interesting, I guess. One is uh, Leia Missius. Right. Uh, Who made the movie The Five Devils that's playing here? Five Devils, that's also, which I have not heard a peep about. Uh, I've seen it. There's a reason for that. <laughs> And uh, Andrew Litvak is actually more recognizable as a subtitler. She, he's a terrific oh, okay. translator who like works closely with Godard. Like they sit down together. Right, to I, was, write. I was like, I thought I had seen his name before. Yeah, but I exactly. Remember. And in this case, I think just to kind of for the English, you know, um, I think it was written in French and then he probably helped with uh, making it in English or something like that. Yeah, so there's something about this film that doesn't quite fit <laughs> right. And maybe I'm with you in figuring out how I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think it's the weirdest movie here. And also mm. one of the more, it's somehow it's straightforward and weird. I don't know. Well, yeah. maybe only Claire Denis could pull that off. But, uh, <laughs> it, it is very strange. Let's jump off that saying it's the weirdest film here. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll <laughs> revise that statement. Yeah. Exactly. No, no. I think it's funny. To a film that's in, another film that's in competition, and that is Pacifiction, uh, which is I, I mean, that title, I, <laughs> for some reason, when I read that title, I immediately think of the uh, Californication. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a weird, like, portmanteau. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about the title. But, yeah, uh, but that's the new Albert Serra film, you know, sort of proudly taking up a huge chunk of real estate in, in the competition. I think it's like two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's set on a kind of resort island, more or less, or like yeah, a... Yeah, in Tahiti. Tahiti, right. yeah. yeah. That's overseen by uh, Benoit Majumel's character, this combination like impresario and like, you know, unofficial, I don't know. <laughs> he calls himself a representative of the state. He keeps yeah. calling himself that. So he's like a representative of France. Yeah. But he's there to, for also unclear reasons, there's actually strange similarities between this and Stars at Noon where like, you don't know exactly who or what the motives are for anyone involved in this plot hardly. Yeah. It could, because it's very also the same way it, it just drifts from uh, scene to scene but yeah it yeah. deals with him uh, arriving in Tahiti and uh, becoming interested in a potential uh, nuclear testing 
Yeah, uh, that which, might happen. Yeah, which might happen. Um, and he has heard rumors of and then eventually glimpses like a submarine off the shores right. of uh, this island. And uh, so there's all this tension building and there's other mysterious kind of uh, government officials, both locally and in France, that are kind of uh, doing all this potentially nefarious activities yeah. on the margins of the story. Yeah, he basically literally like drifts from scene to scene kind of uh, just encountering a variety of locals and then also just like actual like government officials and they they talk about this in very like abstract and wordy uh monologues Mm -hmm. and discussions that kind of meander everywhere but it's very uh compelling and strange and also disorienting in a way that is like no other film that i've seen here and is uh to me like the boldest film at least in competition that i've seen and there's been others like EO and stuff, but this felt like very, especially as it moves into the third act, mm-hmm. it becomes this like extremely abstract yeah. kind of reflection, I guess, on a potential <laughs> nuclear disaster and uh, colonialism yeah. and things like this. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know how you felt about it, but. Well, actually, it's funny how interesting it is as a double feature with Stars at Noon, yeah. since, you, since you mentioned it. But yeah, I mean, this for me, I agree, it's not like any other film here, really, you know, unless there were another film by Albert Sarah yeah. then it would be like perhaps like that film I mean for me it was an, it's another one of his like baggy monsters I yeah, yeah. Think of them. you know the, these movies that just have you're just cast drift with characters in a like in, on the one hand like vividly drawn scenario but then yeah. you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with that scenario yeah, yeah. you know so it's a movie with a lot of longers I guess you'd say oh yeah and for sure a lot of I, I like to think of them as cigarette break scenes <laughs> yes <laughs> you know uh, scenes where yeah like Mejamil's character is in a car with someone and like basically monologuing to them or thinking aloud and yeah. the other person is it's even falling as- asleep, asleep in the scene them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing you yeah. know it's there's <laughs> yeah it, it's it's really like end of the night at a club or at a party kind of yeah, yeah. Um, rhythm which it gives it like sometimes like a faintly not debauched but faintly too cool aspect to it yeah, um, yeah. well at the same time at the same time seeming just disorienting. Yeah. I will say like, so Sarah is one of my favorite like, working filmmakers, but even wa- at the beginning of this movie, it took me a while to like get in the rhythm of it. Yeah. Uh, probably like mm-hmm. 30 to 45 minutes in, I was still like unsure like how it was, what it was doing, how it was uh, working through this narrative. Um, but I think it's one of those movies that like teaches you how to watch it as it goes, mm. sort of like there's a point around that point in the movie where like, the main character goes out into the ocean on like a jet ski and there's these gigantic waves like crashing into the foreground or like it's moving in such a way like I don't know how to explain what he's doing with the cinematography but it like collapses space in such a way like it's this immense like long scene of just like waves crashing these people kind of like being dwarfed by these gigantic waves and at that point I was started to figure out in my mind like how to watch this movie yeah and I settled into the rhythm of it because it does just drift from there it's it's at once very like talky and mm-hmm. also very like slow and uh, plotless yeah. in a way where people just talk around these ideas and then it literally for the last thirty minutes it really devolves into music and uh, mm-hmm. dancing and yeah. colors and uh, yeah. various strange uh, goings on in the yeah. in nature so it has similarities with Liberté in that way right and it also reminds me of Story of My Death which is a very another talky movie that uh, yes. drifts everywhere for like three hours yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's of a piece, but it's very different than anything he's made. And I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if you do, but the main the main character is like literally dressed and looks like Albert Sarah. Like he's wearing this white <laughs> suit. He's wearing the same glasses. Right. He's got the same hair. And there were points in the movie where he's framed like from the back. And I was like, this could be Albert Sarah <laughs> if he turned around and it was him. I would be like, oh yeah, that's him. 
I can't imagine there's any kind of like personal significance with this character. Maybe there is, but like it's weird that he like dresses exactly like him. Mm-hmm. And even at the premiere, Sarah was wearing this white suit, and like <laughs> I'm like, you look exactly like this guy that's, that's in the movie. Yeah, but that's yeah, really funny. Strange. I mean, when I was watching it, I did have the feeling of it of um, that there was some echo of something in real life, but I couldn't tell it was. At first, I thought it's like. Is he, you know, is he playing like this empresario character that's like a festival director? Almost, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. um, but really, I guess there is, it could be of a filmmaker where there's, there's some sort of gathering storm that you're trying to keep a handle on. Could be, uh, yeah. You know, and also maintain a particular, you know, atmosphere and feel to the place because that's what he seems to be doing is in whatever role he has there exactly at the island. I think Story of My Death is an interesting comparison because that's also a movie that, you know, has more than one setting, more than one yes. location really, and as this one does. And I, what I like about Sarah is that there's never any he's almost like the parody of the auteur who has like these yeah. grand ambitions he's like this is what it's about and you watch it and you're like uh, i think it's kind of three people in a field but yeah, <laughs> yeah totally run, yeah, yeah you know i'll run with it. and in this case it's again like it's kind of extraordinary what he's able to do you know he opens with this like almost michael mann kind of landscape yeah. you know with with this miami sunset going on with this pink that has to be like you know, messed with a little the color. You would think, yeah, there's some extraordinary just like horizon shots yeah, in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that wave thing you mentioned is, is I couldn't believe, I thought, I thought this must have, you know, some digital wizardry going on. It was like a crowd scene of boats, you know? It was yeah. like, how would, so I'm always like sort of meta impressed by what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, also, I don't know, the way he records dialogue or mixes yeah. dialogue mm-hmm. is so weird. In this movie, it's been there before, but it really stood out to me. Like you can sometimes barely hear yeah. what the people are saying in the mix with the ambient noise and yeah. the nature and it's all mm-hmm. like drowning into one like a uh, long ambient or droning sound almost and yeah. then I noticed it more when they start to speak English a couple times and I could barely hear what they were saying I'm like I wonder if this is what it's like for people who <laughs> speak French and they can't hear what they're saying right. the whole time because we have the subtitles and I just right. you know I read along yeah, yeah but yeah I was like the way he mixes the dialogue is so strange yeah it's true it is a particular quality and also sometimes it, it's it's also close mic so you feel like you're hearing someone's like shifting their weight or something a little bit yeah sometimes. for sure um that's something i always liked about honor of knights that Don yeah, Coyote, yeah. <laughs> you know who one of the actors is I in his name, this yeah, is yeah. In this guy. Uh, yeah louis serrat i think is his yeah. name he's in like every sarah he's movie every and sarah he's movie. just the big fat dude who like he <laughs> plays like a bartender in this movie or something and yeah yeah and people laughed when he came on screen it was like know, sarah like fans in the, in the crowd albert sarah players yeah uh, uh yeah he's a great great presence but yeah i don't know this and you know, also just kind of sort of ridiculous, like tropical paradise. Like you have this topless DJ at one point yeah. that they linger on, but there's like an air of kind of sexual menace too, because you know you have this guy who's kind of creeping around her. Yeah, yeah, it's very like surreal and hypnotic, especially yeah. as it moves along. But yeah, there's those scenes where all of a sudden you're like, people are topless for reasons that are unexplained. It's sort yeah. of like Lynchian in a weird like yeah. way with like just long passages of music and uh, half clothed people just like yeah engaging in strange uh <laughs> sexual activities and things like this so yeah it yeah. has connections with other films but it's very different as well and it's interesting to see him work with like another kind of bigger actor which he did with Jean-Pierre Liot and uh, right that's right uh Death of Louis the 14th but yeah he doesn't often work with like trained bigger or big actors so yeah it's interesting yeah which I think is probably pretty important to this uh in that you need someone like yes. that to hold help hold things together because he does hold the screen and kind of give you a center you know as a good actor can a kind yeah, of center sure. of gravity for things because otherwise a lot of it just feels like this floating conspiracy you know it is yeah but yeah for me it is one of the most substantial films here and uh 
I'm, I love that it's in competition. Yeah. This is by far like, or not by far, but there are only a few films that like are really taking chances, and that's yeah. This is one of them, and he's never had a film. He's had a film in every section at this festival except for competition, which has always been strange. Like, how is Death of Louis the Fourteenth not in competition? Right. How, yeah. I mean, Liberté maybe subject matter wise, I can see why, but right. like, yeah, yeah, it's just strange that he's this big figure and has films premiere in these other festivals and big slots, and this is yeah. finally the first time. Which I guess is clear to me. We didn't mention this is her first time in competition in 40 years. So, yeah, yeah, that's also strange. incredible. So that is Pacifiction uh, coming to a theater near you. Yes, <laughs> I was when I was watching. I'm like, who's gonna put this movie out? Right. It's so strange. Yeah, maybe there'll be like, I don't know, tropical party tie-ins with it somehow. Because yeah. <laughs> um, that's another thing. It's almost another long party movie in a way, or hangout yeah. movie in some way. But let's uh, let's talk about one more film. Sure. Um, and in case any of you are hearing it, we're in the Terrasse de Journalists, uh, the t- Journalist Terrace, which has slowly been filling up as a screening has let out. So we have a nice little ambient noise ourselves. <laughs> but for one more movie, maybe we can quickly talk about the Joe Pedro Rodriguez oh, right. film. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually more of a medium length, I guess, or just yeah, over a feature. 65 minutes. 65. Yeah. And it is about... It's kind of this extended goof on <laughs> i'm trying to find the right word is this riff on portuguese you know royals yeah which is it's funny in and of itself just the royal family and all its ridiculousness and the son the kind of scion i guess or wants to become a fireman right. and so he goes into training uh which immediately <laughs> the, the, the whole the whole fire force seems to be doubling as like uh a, almost like a Sex club. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Joe Pedro Rodriguez film. Yeah, so exactly. That, you know, when they're not fighting fires, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, yeah, he becomes hot and heavy with someone there who's at first just training him to like in CPR, etc. So uh, quickly it turns into this kind of comic slash kind of, I guess, joyfully sexual uh, movie. Well, yeah, you didn't mention it's a musical. Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, the credit's called I think uh, a musical, musical fantasy, fantasy which, which which is also a comedy, which he which doesn't quite comedy. make. And I yeah. talked to him yesterday, and he was really keen on making a comedy. Finally, oh yeah, uh, so that was one of the I think impetuses behind it. But yeah, yeah, it's like framed in this the the character is old at the beginning of the film, and he's looking back on his life. Right. So it kind of flashes back to when he was interested in becoming a firefighter, and then when he joins this station, yeah, he becomes involved with this black character. So this there's another colonial kind of aspect to this film, which right. is something that's in his movies uh, elsewhere as well but this is framed in yeah more fantastical way with uh, choreographed dance numbers which aren't like super elaborate but like because it was shot during covid so it's kind of his covid movie but like it's very small scale kind of a dance film but uh yeah one i really responded to and i think it's quite lovely in the small way but something i think people will enjoy if they get a chance to see it yeah, I'm just looking up because at one point the you know Prince character, before he jumps into training, he's at first, I guess, just being the politically outspoken son of the family. I think, and, do you remember at one point he gets up at the table and he just quotes the g- famous Greta Thunberg? Right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, I mean, I have to say, just like as a comedy, I mean, I think this movie's really funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, at first I thought it was going to kind of wear out its welcome of kind of like a wry look at, at royals, but it, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. It also is art historical reference points in it. Yes. It's a kind of, mm-hmm. uh, there's this large, potentially problematic painting that is kind of a backdrop, a literal backdrop in this dinner scene with the with the family. And But 
but once it moves into the police academy or station scenes, like they, the, the men start to reenact these paintings for a calendar. So they're all like naked and posing in these strange <laughs> positions where they're, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Caravaggio and other painters that they're kind of referencing. And yeah, yeah so it's very humorous how it's, well, how it's all done, but. Yeah, yeah, they kind of are reclaiming or finding the inherent like erotic frisson in, in, in some of these paintings. Yeah. I guess continuing what he's done elsewhere and what Sarah does actually as well, just kind of yeah, for sure. re- revisiting, revising, and some ways rejuvenating certain history. Yeah, yeah. Getting definitely a little um, boisterous here, but I, there's one more film I want It's like the Albert Sarah film. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. There is one more film that I want to hear about, Jordan, because you, you've seen it and I haven't heard a lot about it. Um, and I think the title is Diary of a Fleeting Affair. Yes, by Emmanuel Marais, a French filmmaker, actor, who has been making a number of features, I guess, over the last 10 plus years. I've only seen the last couple and I've really responded to them. I really like them quite a bit. His last film was called Love Affairs, which I guess was part of the Cannes 2020 list, which, you know, that edition didn't happen, but it was would have been selected for that year. So it didn't really ever come out per se in America. Like it wasn't distributed. It played at a few festivals, I think, but really wasn't widely seen, but I think was really, really substantial. But he makes these kind of like Romare-esque uh, sex comedies uh, hmm. set in usually in Paris. Uh, so it's sort of old fashioned out of style filmmaking in a way, but mm-hmm. one is it's not quite done as strongly or interesting nowadays. So yeah, I, I responded really well to it. This movie is about uh, two characters played by, uh, let's see, Vincent McCain and uh, Sandra and Kiberlon, who uh, mm-hmm. are two, you know, fairly well-known French yeah. actors. Um, but as the movie opens, they are talking in a bar and they have previously met, we come to find out, like a couple nights before, and they've decided to strike up a potential affair. Uh, ah. He's married, she's not. Uh, she's sexually liberated and free, and uh, he's very uh, nerdy and buttoned up and okay. is like, very <laughs> nervous about getting involved with this, but he's interested so it, it deals with you never actually see his wife which is like an interesting uh, structuring thing that is, is done in the film but it basically d- uh, deals with them and their relationship and him kind of like loosening up mm-hmm. and uh, her kind of being resistant to getting emotionally involved she's in it more uh, for sexual purposes but yeah it's very uh, funny and romantic how they this dynamic plays out it's basically them going around to museums and cafes and talking about their affair mm-hmm. and how they uh, you know how they kind of uh, philosophically think about what they're doing. And then eventually they, you know, as, as they become more romantically involved, they decide to uh, bring in a third party like from an internet site to have like a three-way, I guess. And so it has a twist where the female character becomes interested in the, in the girl they brought in. So mm. they actually end up breaking up. And the third act is kind of about how Vincent McCain character mm-hmm. uh, deals with losing his lover to a to another woman I see. so it, it's it's very like uh i don't know it's very french yeah i was gonna say but uh <laughs> yeah it's very funny and it's well done and there's a great scene at the end when they, they kind of the two characters meet again after a period of time and it's very emotional and uh, hmm. touching and like I, the ending is a great ending and uh yeah it just has a feel and a look and a, and a small scaleness to it that i really enjoy hmm. and uh yeah it's refreshing within the context of this festival and I think in world cinema right now is like not really dealing with, you know, Woody Allen is done <laughs> and uh, the, making these kind of movies is like not a thing right, anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I find it really interesting. So, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, I kind of wish I, I had seen that. <laughs> 
you know, either before or after the Sarah, just to have, <laughs> you know, I keep thinking of like, you know, being out in the water and losing the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah, I suppose that'll, that'll be coming to the States if some distributor takes it, if they haven't already. So that is Diary of a Fleeting Love Affair. And I think we might wrap it there. Um, I have one film to rush off to. Sure. I'm sure Jordan has writing to do as well (laughs) i'm glad we finally got to do an episode yeah thanks so much for having me back yeah absolutely thank you you've been listening to the last thing i saw with your host nicholas rapold please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com special thanks to the minarets for the opening music thank you for listening (laughs) 